Right now, it's Barry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. Hey, so excited to have Jen Hand back with us. She's an author, speaker, podcast host, and executive director of Coming Alive Ministries. One of her books is called My Yes is on the Table, Moving from Fear to Faith. And that's the name of her podcast as well, My Yes is on the Table. Good morning, Jen. Good morning. I'm so excited to be back with you guys again. Yay, we're excited to have you back. We had a great conversation about My Yes is on the Table, your book. That was amazing. And we're excited to hear what God's been doing in your life recently. And I understand, I know that you are um, that you are a trauma counselor and that you travel to different places in the world, just kind of stepping into the chaos right after, mm. you know, something tragic or has happened. And you were in Turkey after the earthquake. Tell us about that experience. Mm. I was. Yes, I have a unique opportunity as a counselor to, I say, stand on the holy ground of suffering with Mm -hmm. people, literally on their ground. And so I went to Turkey after they had that very large earthquake in the beginning of this year. And I've actually responded to probably six other earthquakes, lots of hurricanes, lots of natural disasters. But this one was a a proportion that I really can't find words to express well. Mm -hmm. The best way I know to describe it is like Chicago, we'll say, that entire city being completely in rubble. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. That was the magnitude of the size and the scope of what happened in a moment when the earth started shaking. And uh, just being there on that holy ground of suffering, seeing what God does in the middle of the darkest of the dark, how he shows up. Mm So what did that look like for you? you you're, I'm, I mean, okay, so I have a couple of experiences in my life where we had a plane crash in our city, like a commercial plane, and it took out a neighborhood as well as obviously there were no survivors. And just there was so much counseling because of what people, it, what they saw and what they mm-hmm. experienced and what they had to process. Is that what you're stepping into is people who've, who saw things and experienced things firsthand? Or what did it, what did it look like for you when you were there in February? Yes, all of them have actually been in the physical act of the earth shaking and then seen um, just devastation and so much death and and destruction. Actually, we were in the biblical town of Antioch. So it was a very, it was amazing to be where the early church started. Yeah. And uh, just to stand with people, hear their stories, help them begin to know you're not alone. That's the key. When someone's experienced trauma, you don't always have to have words. Can I encourage you that the best thing is to just provide space to hold hope when someone else can't. And when we know the ultimate hope in Jesus, then we can stand beside them and just offer our presence with them, just like Jesus did. He said, I am with you. And Mm. that's what we did. And that can be digging out from under rubble, or it can be um, holding a hand or wiping a tear, praying, just asking God to move. Can you take us to a story, a specific person you got to come alongside and and God just showed up and and helped you share the right words or just be there. Can you take us to a moment? Oh, for sure. There, I will change the names because it's a sensitive area. Uh, but there was a pastor we had been working with immediately when we got on the ground. He had lost his home. Everything was destroyed. and But yet their church was reaching out. And it's a persecuted church in that area. And um, so they had were setting up a kitchen and all the things to help their village, even though they had lost everything. Well, then while we were there, we they had a second large earthquake. 
And um, it was very terrifying. And the, the people were so traumatized. And the next morning after that earthquake, we went back into the village and I found him at his church ships with, that what had been barely standing was more in rubble. Mm. And I just found him mm. sitting by the fire, just weeping. Mm. And I was able to go grab his hand and just cry with him. And it was just such a moment to me of realizing how God meets us, even when we don't have words to say. Yeah. And that pastor was weeping for his people, for his village. And I was able to say, God sees you still. Mm-hmm. He is with you here in that moment and just praying with him in that holy ground of just watching. what. Will you remember God has not forgotten you? Jen, I'm curious what makes a trauma counselor tick? Because I would think that a trauma counselor is somebody who would also do, you know, become a paramedic. You know, what what does it take to be a person who moves into some of the worst moments in people's lives? I love this question and I This is where I love how God fearfully and wonderfully made each one of us for the unique thing he has planned for us. That's what his word says. Mm -hmm. And that's when we say yes to him, what he will do. And my trauma counseling is different. I did not expect to be the natural disaster girl. Mm. I mean, who (laughs) plans that? Right. Um, But what happened is how God uniquely ordained more than I could ask or imagine is I had been a missionary in Nepal. I spoke Nepalese fluently. And there was an earthquake in my place uh, where I loved, the people I loved, the people Mm -hmm. I had poured my life out. I had a trauma counseling degree. I went after the earthquake, stood on that holy ground of suffering. They, They needed hope. And that was the way God launched me into this unique ministry. So I would encourage the listener, you never know what God is gonna do with how he uniquely made you. And so I didn't plan to be the natural disaster war girl to go to Ukraine in the war. Uh, but God, mm-hmm. you know, but you have to be able to handle that. I'm sure your training helps you handle that, but there's also, there also has to be a gifting, a DNA in you that you can move into the hardest thing. What is that in you? I want to know what that is in you. Um, I always pray for courage, like the characters of the Bible. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you think about people like Ruth and I mean, David, he went and took a few stones and went before a giant. And so I think it's inside of me is a love for people, Mm -hmm. a big love for a big God, Mm -hmm. and then a desire to see, okay, Lord, here I am, send me. That that has to be your prayer if you're going to step into. And honestly, I'm afraid the whole time. Here's the thing. Faith Mm -hmm. is not the absence of fear. Faith is running to God with that fear. Okay. Because it's not like I'm not a scared, uh, I'm a single woman traveling the world by myself often. Yeah. Um, it's scary, but God. Yeah. So here's the thing about faith, right? I've I've been mulling around in my own head the definition of faith and, you know, how I would word it. So I know Hebrews says it's, you know, faith is believing what we cannot see, um, being sure and, you know, certain of what we cannot see. This is how I, my words that I use that make sense to me. Faith is believing that God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he's going to do. Mm -hmm. And when everything in your world has been shaken, whether it's a literal earthquake or you're experiencing a trauma, you know, a spouse just walked away. They they said forever, I do. And now they're gone. The same kind of shaking is happening in your world. And in those moments, we question, is God who he says he is? Is he going to do what he said he was going to do? 
It is a time when things shake. When Here's why I love Isaiah 43, where it tells us when we pass through the waters, he will be with us. And we have such an opportunity to to see and experience Emmanuel, God with us. And it is though a time where we have to press in and ask God, I'm afraid here, Mm -hmm. come meet me right where I am. And uh, I have to do that all the time, Perry and Shauna. What are some of the baby steps that we can do for our brains and our bodies when we've experienced trauma? But before we even dive into that, how would you define trauma? Often, I think there's just, people are asking the question, can I even say I have been through trauma? Yeah. And there's all different kinds. And some people define it as big T traumas, which is where you're afraid for your life, an accident, a natural disaster, uh, little T traumas, relational disasters, or um, just grief. But here's what I would say is anything that you've experienced that makes you feel um, like you are not in a sense of safety, whether it's relationally, Mm -hmm. physically, spiritually, emotionally, is a trauma. And we don't need to waste time (laughs) minimizing the fact or defining it and just begin to acknowledge, oh, I'm struggling here. And I think there's freedom in that. And that we can't compare our traumas because often we miss healing because we're like, oh, but my story is not as big as next door neighbor's story. Yeah. When Jesus wants to step into your story. That's so good. Okay. I love that definition. You've just kind of messed with my own thinking and my own history as far as like whenever you don't feel safe. I have I am prone more to feel not safe and do this thing called turtling, which I'm sure there's a counseling term for and all of that. But yeah, so this is going to be, I know our listeners are going to be blessed by this. We've all experienced trauma. It's like a spectrum, right? Like we, we've got little T's and maybe the bigger, bigger, bigger T's and then the big capital T's. But what are some of the baby steps that we can do for our brains and our bodies when we have experienced trauma and we want to experience healing. This gets me so excited because Psalms 139 says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I know I don't have time to geek out on all the brain (laughs) science, but the way God made our brains and our bodies connect is to go into when something dangerous, whatever it may be, even if it's a relational danger, we immediately go into fight, flight, or freeze. And That's just the way God made us. And some of the baby steps is just first, just beginning to notice awareness. Oh, my heart's racing here. Maybe you have a meeting that didn't go well, or um, you are just afraid of something, noticing things in your body. And then just the gift of breath that Mm -hmm. God has given us. You know, the Holy Spirit, when Adam and Eve were made, God breathed into them. And so even just pausing and breathing when you notice, um, taking a walk outside, the way we can move our feet does something in our brain to begin to help us process what's going on in our body. So it really is amazing how even just pausing to do some of those little steps, breathing, walking, um, even closing your eyes and squeezing different parts of your body to make stress and then release it. I love how God made us to kind of go into that fight or flight. And then the problem is often when we've experienced trauma, we stay there. Mm -hmm. And so those are the little, just little things that we can begin to do to kind of step out of that. Yeah. So I I totally identify with this. So I'm, I'm, I mean, primarily your flight girl. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to abort the situation, get out as quickly as possible. But I'm a freezer, Shauna. Okay. So everyone tends to be one of the other, uh, fighter, flighter, you know, I'm Unless a freezer. My, if my kids are involved, I'll throw some punches. But other okay. than that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flee. But yeah, so what I'm hearing you say, though, is I can, I can 
in that moment when I feel like I got to get out of here, I can breathe. I can walk. Can you be really practical about this? What does it look like for to step into that? Well, I think the first step is when you begin to notice, oh, I'm, okay. I'm fleeing right now. That's and um, your body. And maybe there's a legitimate, there are times where legitimately you need to, you know, um, but then after the situation beginning to process, okay, I, I fled. So I'm going to take time and take deep breaths, close my eyes, bring my body out of that fight or flight mode into safety. The main thing is you're trying to establish to your brain and your body, I'm safe here. Ooh, that's good. And, it, and even if you don't feel safe at the time, just doing things in your body, move, movement, uh, walking, you could think, you could, meditation on scripture is mm -hmm. an amazing gift God has given us in that moment to continue to bring out from where your cortisol level is racing into, okay, um, the bear is not attacking here and the bear can be anything um, that you have. So just the first step though, is just noticing and not noticing with shame mm -hmm. because the problem is we put shame on what we're noticing. Mm. And I had a counselor point out that when we Google something, because we want to know more about it, we're not ashamed of the fact that we Googled what was the score of the baseball game last night. We're just sure. looking for information. Mm -hmm. So looking for information. Oh, I'm feeling hmm. the effects of fight, flight, or freeze right now without shame. Okay, so now what? <laughs> Jen, I was walking into church Sunday morning and saw a friend of mine, and I asked him how he was doing. He said, I've been better. And he went on to tell me that he has stage three colon cancer. Mm. And I just got a call from another person and another friend has stage four colon cancer. Both of these people are in their thirties. Mm. How do we come alongside people who are going through trauma? How do we do that? Well, I think this is something that many, many people ask because they, they want to be there. And that's the first gift is mm. you are there. And I think that we think we have to have the right answer or the, and we often try to fill the space because we're uncomfortable. So my biggest encouragement to you is if you're coming along someone, side someone with trauma, just let them verbally process, ask good questions, be there. And don't always try to swoop in with the, mm -hmm. God is working all things together for the good. Because you know that. You know that. Yeah. In the moment. And we know that. We believe that. Or maybe they don't know that. But what they need is your presence. I love how Jesus said, I'm sending you a helper, the Holy Spirit. And it says, when we say yes to Jesus, we're saying yes to the fullness of the Spirit residing in us. He's the great counselor. And so it, when you are with someone, you don't always have to have the words. And maybe sometimes just just put them back in your mouth mm -hmm. <laughs> um, because, and I think that's freeing, right? It's hard to sit in the, and you don't want to just sit there mute, obviously, mm -hmm. but just um, asking questions. Being, I call it being a container instead of an answerer mm -hmm. where you just help give them a place that you will hold hope for them when they cannot. Yeah. Holding space for them. That's the place where empathy fits in. It seems to me, I know my daughter shared with me at a training that she was a part of and she, she heard this and and it resonated with her and she passed it on to me. But like when you have a yuck duck, um, there's a yuck duck and a yay duck. And when you have a yuck duck and you share with somebody your yuck duck thing, like this crummy thing happened, they want to swoop in with the yay duck. Yeah, but, mm. you know, God works all things together for good for those of us. <laughs> you know, and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You didn't even acknowledge my yuck duck. Mm -hmm. So just taking a minute to say, oh, that stinks. Mm -hmm. 
You know what I mean? Acknowledge the yuck duck. And it doesn't mean that the yay duck doesn't get to come in and play in the conversation at some point, but just giving, is that what you're saying? Like give space for that to, mm-hmm. to kind of hold on to the hard part of it? Yes, because one of the most healing things, if someone's experienced a trauma, like, for example, if you experience a natural disaster, we'll say part of my job and role is to help people debrief by verbally speaking what they experienced. Mm. And that helps you get out of that fight, flight or freeze mode. It helps move you in your brain from the um, cortisol racing. And so one of the greatest gifts you can give to someone is just hearing their story and letting them share it. And um, that's often what I do when I go to these places afterwards. It's just the beginning stages, but I let them guide them into telling their story so they can find healing. Jen, when we experience trauma, things are never the same. Mm -hmm. They're never going to be the same. How do we rebuild out of trauma? And I see this physically a lot when I do this, you know, there's actual rubble there, you know, you go to a tornado and everything's thrown about and you just have to begin one piece at a time. Mm -hmm. And so the beginning piece is unburying whatever. Um, and, and so in a physical sense. So what I would say is beginning to share your story is huge. Asking for help. You cannot rebuild alone. And that's finding a good, trusted, godly counselor. That's just finding a friend that is reaching out to others. Because what we want to do is isolate, but we need to lean into others. That's one of the biggest keys to rebuilding is to not, you can't rebuild a house alone. You can't, mm. and, and, and acknowledging it will not look the same. Mm. It, it, even if you got all the building materials from the earthquake, tornado, <laughs> if it's a personal relationship struggle, it's when you rebuild it, it's never going to be the same, but it'll be new and different, mm. but you can rebuild. I want to talk about how our thoughts are just really important and how much influence our thoughts have over our lives. Cause I think that we, th- we think that our, you know, the thoughts that we have and, and what rumbles around inside of our brain is kind of like separate from my life. Like I have these thoughts, but then I make decisions about how I'm going to behave, but I'm going to argue that our thoughts are super, super influential. And I actually am going to argue that our thoughts are the control center of our whole life. Whatever has your attention has got you. Whatever your thoughts are ruminating on has got you. That's why, you know, with when you're on the computer mm-hmm. and an ad pops up, it's whatever it is that you've searched before or you've been thinking about. If Google knows that it's on your mind, it wants to grab your attention. And so that's what it's the visually, that's what it's going to put in front of you again and again. So I do. I believe that the 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 mind is the control center of our life because our thoughts become our words. Our words become our actions. Our actions become our habits. Habits become character and character becomes our destiny. And our mind is actually a battlefield. The enemy knows this truth that our mind controls our whole life. And the enemy knows if I can get your thoughts, then I've got you. And so we've got the enemy coming up against us, but he's not the only enemy that we have for our thoughts because the world is also throwing thoughts at us mm-hmm. like 24 seven. And the, the things that the world is throwing at us are completely opposite of what scripture says. Here, let's play a little game. I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw something at you, um, a slogan and you tell me whose it is. All right. All right. You want me to do this? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'll play. Okay. Have it your way. 
Oh, Burger King. Yes, indeed. Boom. Right? Have it your way. That's a worldly thought that they want to plan in our head. You get to have it the way that you want it. You just order up your world. But I love contests. First your burger, then your world. Okay, here's another one. <laughs> Since you're doing so good, just do it. This one's easy. Nike. Nike. Just do it. Don't think about it. Don't think about the consequences. Just if you want it, make it happen, man. How about this one? Um, this one's a little bit harder. Obey your thirst. I got it. You do? Sprite. Yes. Sprite. That's it. Obey your thirst. That one, I think, is especially sneaky because it's, you know, whatever you have an appetite for, like if you see it, you want it, just get it, just take it. You know, and you could go the food route with that, but it's really anything. You see it, you want it, it's yours. Make it happen. Or you could shift it to the good Obey your thirst for God. Right. That'd be a good spin to put on the obey right. your thirst. It's got to, we've got to replace those gods with the ultimate thirst, Jesus Christ. Right. But when the world says, or Sprite says, obey your thirst, they're not pointing us to Jesus. No, they're not. They're pointing no. us to self-satisfaction. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> yeah. And then there's my own thoughts. I mean, yeah, there's the enemy and yeah, there's the world, but shoot, I'm in there too. I've got my own selfish thoughts, my own personal desires to have things go the way that I want them to go. And the world and the enemy only just enhances those. So our mind is a battlefield and we're bombarded like 24-7 with these sinful, selfish thoughts. We can't, we can't fill our mind with ungodly things like ungodly entertainment and filthy words and images and worldly thinking and expect our life to be holy. Did you catch that? You can't fill your brain with unholy stuff mm-hmm. and expect your life to be a holy life. That's just not how it works. I'm telling you, your mind is the control center of your life. I was tempted just last night to click on something that I knew I shouldn't and the Lord helped me. Because I know what the consequences are. The consequences are yuck. Just yuck. I had a similar experience yesterday, but mine was around sugar. Okay. (laughs) So we're celebrating our our five-year, I decided to call it, on-air-iversary. Because that's a little bit clearer than saying our five-year anniversary, which was confusing for some. Right. But anyway, we were celebrating our anniversary, and George brought in cake and... I had a piece of cake and it was so good. So I had a second piece of cake. There you go. And then I hosted small group yesterday afternoon and I had, oh, I had, you know, queso and chips and cheese and crackers and apples and caramel dip and, you know, all these things. But I also had all the sweet things like, you know, the popcorn mixed with the M&Ms and the Rolos in it, that sort of thing. And I had some pumpkin flavored pretzels that were really sweet. And Man, you were going for it. Something else. I don't know, just a lot of sweet stuff. So, yeah, I know how to host a party, bro. <laughs> but there was a lot of sugar involved. And I woke up this morning and I was like, ah, yeah. I feel yuck. Mm-hmm. The consequences, mm-hmm. right? It was like, at the time, it seems really, really good. But this morning, I was like, ooh, I need a vegetable. I need some, I need my athletic greens. I need you need some, an orange. I need something healthy inside of me. But yeah, our thoughts do control our lives. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. You get to control your thoughts. We're not like a victim to our thoughts. We actually control our thoughts. You have the power to stop thinking what you're thinking. I know this comes, this, you know, maybe this, you don't like this because you're like, oh, well, if I have the power to control my thoughts, then I'm actually responsible for what I think. I am. Yeah. 
It's true. It's a hard truth, but it's true. Second Corinthians 10, 5 says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Mm. It's a good word right there. Yeah, I love that. Take captive every thought, every thought. Max Lucado from Anxious for Nothing, he says that we are like the air traffic controller of our thoughts. So when a thought comes our way and it's not of God and it's not right and it's not good and it's not true that we're like, nope, you can't land here. And if thought comes our way that is holy and that lines up with scripture, then we go ahead and let that thing land, mm-hmm. you know, but we get to control that. And Timothy Keller talks about our self-talk, that ongoing message in your mind all the time. We think we have to listen to it. You don't. We don't have to listen to it. We are responsible for our thoughts and we can tell that self-talk what's up. We can tell it to stop and we can tell it what's true. We can speak scripture back to that voice inside your head because that voice inside your head is not telling you the truth a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing with being responsible for our thoughts. You can't blame anybody else for what you're thinking. You can't even blame God for what you're thinking. He gives you free will to control your mind. But we do need to control our mind. In fact, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then he says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So let's own our thoughts today for the glory of God. I've been doing a lot of thinking about the way that we think these days, (laughs) about how important our thoughts are and how our thoughts actually control our lives. And the Bible talks about a thing called strongholds and mindsets. And there literally are neurological pathways in our brain. What happens is when you think a thought, it's kind of like, a um, oh man, if picture a field that's not been walked through and you walk through that field the exact same route back and forth again and again and again and again and again. Eventually, there's going to be a pathway and it's going to be easier to take that pathway than it is going to be to walk through the tall grass again. And so our brains in the same way, they see the pathway where we've been before and they go, oh, that's easier. And so our brain automatically chooses what is familiar over choosing what is new, which could be great if the thoughts that you have and the familiar thoughts in your mind point you to Jesus. But if those thoughts are unhealthy, Mm -hmm. it takes some real intentionality to create a new pathway, to see the easy way and choose the harder way and walk through that tall grass for the first time. So we have these these mindsets. Those are the pathways. The good news is the mindsets can be broken off. We can choose new and we can create those new paths. Roman 8, 6 says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So we want our minds set. If we we want our minds, we want to experience the peace of Christ. We want to set our mind on the things of Christ. When I was in my 30s, I was in a deep depression. And a big part of it was because I had created these pathways. I had believed these lies for such a long, long time. And I was depressed because of it. And then God began to show me the difference between the lie and the truth. Mm. And the lie was really, really, really connected with my feelings. And the truth didn't have anything to do at that time with my feelings. 
And so God was was doing a new thing in me, literally in my brain, to rewire my brain. And I was at this prayer gathering of of pastors and ministers and ministry leaders. And this guy I had never seen before and have never seen since came to me and he prayed for me, put his hands on my head, and he mm-hmm. said, The Lord's doing something in your in your brain. And he's he's healing, and I believe what God was beginning to do was heal those pathways, creating new pathways, which had to be worked out in real life. I really had to choose to start thinking about the things that are true, and now I've created these good pathways. Yeah. God, God has right. glory to God. God has, but we there's this mysterious partnership between right. God giving us the power and us making the choice. That's so good, Perry. That's so powerful. And just this whole idea on how what you think changes your life. I just recently saw, um, it was on social media, but it was a husband sharing how his marriage changed when he changed his mind. And he said, what I had to change my mind about was every time I participated in the chores inside the house, I thought I'm helping my wife. And he said, I realized one day, we own this house together and the things that need to be done are just the things that need to be done. So when I'm doing the dishes and she's doing the dish and I, and I come alongside her and I'm doing the dishes as well or whatever, I'm not helping her. I'm just doing what needs to be done for the house that we own. And it was changing his mentality of, oh, it's not my wife's job to take care of this house that we own together. It's ours. We own it together. And so we participate together. And it, 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 it becomes a, you have to change your mind before you change your life. You really do. And we were having a conversation about our thoughts a few minutes ago. And Corrine added something that I thought was so, so good. She texted in to join the conversation. And she shared with us Psalm 19.4. And she said, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And then she shared, uh, a friend of hers says, says it this way, your heart believes what it hears you think. So I believe what I hear myself think. So our thoughts are so important. Let's set our minds on God. You know, Romans 12, two, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Be made into a new person by the renewing of your mind. And I love that, you know, confirmation is just behavior modification, right? And so he's saying, don't don't modify your behavior to the ways that the world is acting. Don't even modify your behavior to look like a Christian. Don't modify your behavior at all. He's saying, don't conform. Be transformed. Be made completely new. And the New Living Translation says this exact same verse this way. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Because it's his word and it's his spirit that transforms us. And that's divine power. This is not something we can do in our own strength. The word of God and the spirit of God have the power of God to recreate our minds and what we think about. You know, when we think about the word, that is the power of God mm-hmm. and coupled with the spirit of God. And that changes the way we live because it's changing the way we think. And one of the ways that we change that we think, change the way that we think is understanding and believing God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. He's so good. He's He's our provider. He's our protector. He's our savior. We get these thoughts into our minds. Mm-hmm. And it changes our life.
I find the grace of Jesus to be astonishing, surprising even, because mm-hmm. when I least expect it and when I least deserve it, Jesus pours out his grace on me. That's been my experience throughout my journey. Surprising grace. Somebody ought to write a song. I think that when we think we do deserve it, we kind of disqualify ourselves for grace. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like if you think you deserve it, it's not grace. Then you're expecting it. Right. Then you won't be surprised. Yeah. It is the very undeserved, you know, shockingly, man, you didn't have to do that. And yet you did. Mm Mm-hmm. Malika and Layla had fled for their lives from war-torn Syria to find refuge in Amsterdam. Malika carrying the weight of excruciating kidney pain. Layla bearing the deep trauma of war. And now these two broken souls were in a Dutch church watching a film about Jesus. Malika grimaced from her kidney pain as she watched, but was captivated by the miracles of Jesus. Mm. After the film, she told Annika, one of the Dutch believers, about her pain. And Annika said, can I pray for you? And Malika nodded, yes. As Annika prayed, Malika cried out in complete shock, surprised. I've just been healed. The pain is gone. It's awesome. You must pray for my Layla. Oh, I love that that's her response. Mm -hmm. Jesus did it for me. She can do it for my friend. Layla looked eerily comatose. As Annika prayed. But as Annika prayed, Layla started coming back to life. Layla cried, I feel this heavy weight lifting mm-hmm. and a peace I've never felt before. I can breathe again. Jesus has healed you both, Annika said. He loves you so deeply. Do you want to follow him? There was no hesitation. Malika and Layla began to dance with joy. Two refugees from Syria. In a Dutch church, touched by Jesus, Mm -hmm. dancing for joy. You know what? So here's what stands out to me about this story. This the kindness of God, right? That He He met them exactly where they were and that He He brought about healing. And their response is, you know, when she says, Would you want to follow this this God who healed you? Their response is, Yeah, yeah, I want to follow the God who heals. We have a God who heals. Mm. You and I do. And He's He's doing the work. And sometimes it happens in a moment, and we get to celebrate this miraculous, you know, healing Mm -hmm. in a moment. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's a daily process. And even that is when it's the healing comes slowly, even that is a gift from him because we lean into him in the hurting. Yeah. Makes us rely. Right. We learn intimacy with him. We, we learn to be close to him and to draw near to him, which is what we need more than anything. But I don't know, it just I just feel like our hearts, we should be just as ready to every single day to say, God, you're the God who heals. I want, yes, I want you. I want everything you have for me today. Well, as it says in, I think it's Psalm 72, you are the God who works miracles. He still does. So anyway, as Malika and Layla were ready to get back on the bus to go to the refugee camp, Malika ran back three times to hug Annika and mm-hmm. thank her. I love that. And she kept on waving through the window as the bus drove away. Just another great story. Mm-hmm. We're living in Acts 29. Yeah, and th- this is our God. He's that kind and he's that powerful. Mm-hmm. And the kindness and the powerful combined makes crazy good circumstances. Absolutely. Lord, be kind to us and be good to us and show your power to us. 
you may feel worthless and ashamed right now. Or maybe your body is broken with disease. You're in some kind of season where God feels so far away, or maybe you even doubt he exists because it's so hard. Guess what? You're experiencing surprising grace right Mm. now because you just happen to be listening right now. And we're talking about surprising grace right now. And this is for you. God is showing up right here, right now for you. Mm -hmm. And so if you are feeling worthless and ashamed, Jesus Christ is the forgiver of sin and gives us the identity of Abba's child. If your body is broken with disease, in Christ's powerful name, may he heal you. And it may be instantly, it may be a process, but we will all be healed when we see Jesus Christ face to face. Maybe you're in some season where it's so dark, you don't even think God exists. He is with you right here, right now. And this passage is for you, whatever situation you're in. This is God's surprising grace. It's his word to you. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Thanks so much for listening. Questions or comments? Text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930. 